Not So Retrograde. I'm Elizabeth Cott. And you know me. I'm Stephanie Simbari. It's officially fall. Mm-hmm. I'm officially on the aluminum-free deodorant tip. Congratulations. So far, so good. How are you smelling? Pretty great. Yeah? Yeah, but I like just applied, so. Right. Well, you know. whatever. Whatever you have to do to avoid those uh, clogged underarm pores, I say. That's I'm on that tip now. Yeah. Is anyone else with me? Guys? Anyone? <laughs> um, so today's show, we have Jesse Israel, who is here to discuss what it means to be a modern man. Ow, ow! Jesse wrote a really cool essay mm-hmm. that he posted online. Love that you call it an essay. We were really moved by what he had to say in, mm-hmm. in this exploration and also the response that it got because I think it really represents a undertone of conversation that people are craving to have. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we really connected with this idea of the modern man experiment because uh, I don't know if you guys know this about us. We are formal serial daters, if you can even call it dating. Former, yeah. We definitely engage in our own little slutty slutty character study. Yeah, I actually have the URL for that because I had so many insane stories. Yeah. And I felt like slutty slutty character study, uh, getting the URL was the way to copyright that. I think we should just write a book called Slutty Slutty Character Study. Yeah. Um, And then you guys can hear all about mine and Elizabeth's bad choices. Insane stories. I love, though, today our producer, one of our producers, uh, Emu, I'm shouting you out, Eames, she went on a date last night. Yes. In which the gentleman did not pay-ish. He did the whole... The better part of the story, not that he didn't pay, but that he did an act out where he was like... Buster Keaton patting his fucking pockets like, well, I don't know where money comes from. And she's like, stop it. Here's my credit card. And then he paid the $2 tip. Right. Chivalry's not dead, See, guys. this to me, when I was at this part of the story, I was like, it's not that right. bad. Okay, yeah, it's like it's standard like, practice. It's like he's an actor. He's not blah, making blah, it. Blah. Whatever. And then. Have some compassion for the guy. He works at a bowling alley. As she's trying to get him out of his vehicle, <laughs> he then starts talking about vampires and how he's, they should bite at the heart as opposed to the neck because there's more blood where the boob is. I imagine it's something like this. Don't you think it's weird that vampires don't bite boobs instead of necks because there's more blood? And then he moves on. And then she's sitting uh, in the car and she's like, am I about to get and killed? And then he tried to bite her boob. Yeah. Was it successful? Do you, have a, a, do you have a mark? Do you have a hickey on your boob? Okay. Oh. Pussy. She says no. He's a pussy vampire. He didn't even break the skin. Oh, <laughs> oh my gosh. When I had, I did like a two week stint on Tinder at the beginning of the year because I was bored. I went on one date with one of the gentlemen. Actually, you know what? He came up to me in a bar. This wasn't even a Tinder thing, but it was during the Tinder You were like, I'm open. I'm open. Right. You know? I get it. Uh-huh. You get it. And, um, <laughs> He, it was like a Tuesday night. I'm just saying yes, so love can say yes to me. Exactly. <laughs> 20 minutes into the date, he's he pulls out cocaine. He's like, you want some? And we're like sitting in the wide open, and I was like politely declined. And then he's like, you mind if I do it? And it, I was just like. See, all I'm hearing is this guy's a gentleman. Right. He yeah. offered it to you, and then he asked your permission for him to do it. Exactly. But like the casual Tuesday night bumps, like I'm not. Right. He's not like there. Christmas at mom, with mom exactly. material. Although my dad might like that. <laughs> my dad was visiting me and told me that. In the 70s, him and my mom would like casually flip cocaine. And it started because he like tried to tell us that he never really liked dope. He was like, I wasn't really into heroin. I was more into the I mean, and my brother, I was like stunned. I couldn't take it. My brother was loving it. The yeah. modern man, guys. Yeah, yeah. This is these are our role models. <laughs> I wish that I knew that a long time ago. But um to piggyback onto the casual cocaine story on the blind date. Right. I did He's just like my dad. Exactly. <laughs> Before he brought out the cocaine yeah. at the table out in the open 
at the restaurant we were at. We were start, we were just like talking about books. Confidence. We had read. And I was talking about Return to Love. I had just discovered that it was available as a book on tape audio on YouTube. So you why can, don't you let us know what that is? Since you're making Return the assumption that everyone is knows what that is. a book by Marianne Williamson okay. in which she breaks down A Course in Miracles. It's really great. It's like a really great intro to spirituality type of book. Right. Anyway, I ended up sending him that link pre-cocaine. Right. Then the next day he texted me and was like, wow, like, thank you so much for sending this to me. I feel like it's information I really needed to hear. He stayed up all night on that <laughs> cocaine and just fucking switched over <laughs> to spirituality. It so Addiction transfer. You know, we are all assignments. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> Today's assignment. Yes. Modern man. Jesse Israel. Uh, Super hot guy, by the way. Hot mind, hot face. If it helps you guys to like imagine people, like we're super beautiful. Think about the Olsons, but fatter. Yeah, yeah, that's what we look like, <laughs> and like with a little bit more adult acne. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so Jesse is going to talk about the modern man experiment. He also is heavily involved in meditation, like the growing meditation community among millennials. Full disclosure, we pre-recorded this because he was in L.A. visiting and right. we really wanted to get his Autograph. take on all oh. the, yeah, <laughs> his take on everything. But recently, this is really cool, a project of his, The Big Quiet, did a massive boat-filled meditation. A thousand people showed up and they maxed out at 700 on, at capacity on the boat. Then they did a 20-minute meditation followed by a giant sound bath that enveloped all three stories of the boat. Bringing all these people together. I'm excited. Me too. Let's welcome Jesse Israel to the show. Yes. He is our friend and... Super hot guy. Yeah, super hot guy. Thanks, guys. Welcome to the program, <laughs> Jesse. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Jesse. Have you ever given the super hot guy intro to anyone else? No. Every single time. Okay. No, that's only for you, so take that with you. In the past four years, you and meditation have really aligned. Yeah, so we fell in love. We fell you in guys love. became buds. Can you talk about what you were doing before and what led you to what you're doing now? Yeah, when I was a sophomore at NYU, my uh, college roommate and I started managing the band MGMT and developed them while we were students. And uh, by the time we were seniors, they had really taken off and we had worked with them to upstream them to a major label. And, you know, they became this sensation. And it was cool for us to have, you know, gone from doing this dorm room project to all of a sudden having a real record label. And for the next uh, three years or so, we just ran this company. And we graduated, we got a studio and an office space, and we signed a bunch of bands, and we did a joint venture with a great major label. Then I hit my first wall and I realized that. I was running a record label because it had fallen in my lap with this incredible band and through these great business partners. But it really wasn't what I wanted to be doing and it wasn't in line with what I was feeling like were my, my talents, my, you know, my, my greatest gifts. It's not common for someone to be doing something, be immersed in something, be successful at something, and also still be aware that it's not in line with what their gifts are. Like, right. How did you come to that? Like, what is that moment of realization? I'm able to articulate it that way now. Right, okay. At the time, I was just tortured. <laughs> Interesting. You know, and that's, that's it. Wasn't that's, making you happy, even though it should have been. Yeah, technically, that was exactly. It was a huge should for me. It was giant question mark around. Well, what does that mean if I leave this thing that's defined me and made me who I am? Right, doing quotation marks. Right. Then, what am I? Mm -hmm. And it was the thought of the unknown that broke me down. That's when I found meditation. Really, after a short period of time of, of building a regular meditation practice. I started to connect with how I could bring more of my passions 
and talents into my music company. I actually think the breakdown is kind of a relevant point of conversation to you. Tons of people are having breakdowns every single second of the day, right? We live in a really scientific world. fact. Scientific fact. I just drew that from the universe. <laughs> but it takes a certain kind of like thought process to be like, okay, I'm not going to take antidepressants or I'm not going to go live with my parents. Like I'm going to find meditation. Like that's actually quite a leap. It takes a certain level of emotional intelligence yeah. to even understand that as being an option. Right. Mm. So I'm curious as to from trying meditation and realizing that it works because I know I experienced this. I have yet to have it as a daily practice. That's something that we talk about pretty much every episode is ritual and daily practice mm -hmm. and the importance of that. What is your daily practice? So the practice that I have now is uh, so my meditation practice is 20 to 30 minutes uh, in the morning and then once in the afternoon or early evening. Mm -hmm. And um, I have another practice that I've been doing for a few months now that's been really important to me. I found when I first heard about this practice that it, it sounded a little corny, mm -hmm. so I'll preface it with that. But um, I write down five things I'm grateful for every morning and then I write down five things that I'm looking forward to. And then I write down like a little intention for the day. Ease and flexibility was my intention for this day. And it takes maybe 90 seconds. But what it does is for someone like me, I tend to go towards focusing on the negative. Mm. This brings a little bit of positivity into my life at the start of my day. So it helps me create sort of a stronger foundation for positive living. And it's changed shit for me. Bringing in gratitude and focusing on good has been a, a daily ritual that's been a game changer for me. And the and last thing I'll say is I have an evening ritual as well, which is in my same little journal that I use where I do my morning gratitude. And I jot down um, a couple things throughout the day that uplifted me, that made me feel good, that sort of helped get the good energy flowing. And then I'll jot down a couple things where I felt like maybe I dropped my energy or something that, you know, threw me off or kind of put me in a, in a, in a negative place. And that can be as simple as, you know, I stuffed my face at dinner again and that made me feel like shit afterwards mm -hmm. to I didn't like the way that I handled this situation with my girlfriend. And then I'll take 30 seconds, close my eyes and just kind of get like a visual going for where I want to go. Where I want it, what I want to Basically, do. Basically, he's playing Roses and Thorns every night. No, totally. <laughs> um, one thing I want to get to is the modern man experiment, right. which is something that I gather came from this meditation practice. What is it? The, the modern man experiment is a series of workshops for men and for women that ask the question, what does it mean to be a man today? And it's through the lens of what I'm calling four pillars. Sex, relationship, when dating also falls into mm -hmm. that, presence, which ties to meditation, and purpose, which has a lot to do with work. And I really came to putting this experiment together after spending my 20s um, sort of mirroring my manliness off of other men and sort of role models who were working hard. Slaying pussy. <laughs> making lots of money, dating their asses off, sleeping around. And because there was never any real conversation around what it means to be a man, in my life, that was never a conversation. All I had was sort of the examples of peers and, and other role models. And it wasn't until around the age of 30, I'm 30 now, when I sort of first turned 30, I was looking back on my 20s and realized how much I really put into maximizing 
all of those various areas and those sort of pillars that I spoke about. I love that you are exploring masculinity because I feel like from the world that we're living in, I there's this giant feminism conversation. Men also need to like reassemble their identity in this culture. Like it's not functioning for you guys mm -hmm. either because men haven't been taught or conditioned to, to ask those questions. It's just not a conversation that we yeah. have. I never had the conversation of what yeah. it means to be a man with my dad, with my mom, with any of my friends. They're just like, don't cry and fuck bitches. <laughs> <laughs> and open a door here and there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> never tell anyone how you're feeling. If you don't like your wife, fuck somebody else. <laughs> like, I feel like aggressive, Darkness. but real. So if you could explain the four pillars to us, and I want to unpack some of those. Yeah, sure. So the first pillar we focused on, presence. And that really ties into what does it look like to show up as a man? and to actually be there in the moment with whatever it is that you're doing. Being there when you're in a business meeting, if it's being there when you're on a date, or if it's being there when you're you know, making love to your partner, what's the role that presence plays in all of these interactions that we have as men? Because as we know, we're getting more and more distracted and there's not much of a dialogue around the importance of really being there. And not just looking like you're listening, but really listening and how important that is to all of these things in your life. Um, the last thing I'll say about it is I, uh, I read a book called The Charisma Myth that talks about the three components to creating charisma. And the book argues that anyone can turn on charisma when they need it. And the first is uh, warmth. The second is confidence. And the third is presence. And if you remove any from the equation, right, if someone is warm, but let's say not confident, maybe they're seen as a pushover. If somebody is confident without warmth, maybe they're seen as arrogant. If someone is not present, you can't trust the person. So the combination of those three components, I think are a critical piece to manhood. Another pillar um, is sex. Um, you know, I spent a lot of years of my life sleeping around, having fun, having no idea what I was doing. And even when I would try to be vocal with my partners, I found that a lot of my partners didn't know how to communicate about what they wanted or what they were feeling. So, so much of my sexual experience was based on just kind of guessing. And it wasn't until I read a book called She Comes First, which really first hundred pages just about female anatomy, diagrams, understanding how the female body works, what the 18 erogenous zones of the vulva are. And then the next hundred pages. Stephanie just giggled. <laughs> the vulva word. Yeah, it yeah. yeah it'll, it'll. Look, I'm that. not ready for you, Jesse. <laughs> <laughs> erogenous and vulva in the same sentence. I'm too much of a comedian. Go on. <laughs> I understand. It always happens. And then the next hundred pages of She Comes First goes over how you put it all together. Fingers, lips, tongue, gums, the whole experience. Really, it's, a, it's like a cunnilingus Bible, but it touches on a lot more. Anyways, I read that book and was like, holy shit, how did I not know any of this stuff? And when I first read it, I sort of went from one extreme to the other. The extreme before I read it was, I got to get myself off and I got to do it with as many women as possible. And then I went to this other extreme of, I got to get every woman off that I'm with. And it became this sort You're of such a saint. gamified experience where I would be with someone and really just put my energy into, you know, seeing how many times I could help them achieve an orgasm. And that 
isn't what sex is about either. I learned a ton along the way. I actually found sex to be more enjoyable when I was going through that process. It was just another extreme. And it wasn't until I continued to explore other seminars, things like orgasmic meditation, a lot of reading, starting to talk about it more with, with older women I found was helpful, where I was able to sort of land somewhere around the middle, which is a, more of a place of being able to relax into sex, be able to put pleasure before performance. But the way that I look at sex is, um, especially for men, kind of like playing piano. Piano. To be able to learn the scales and the chords is important to being able to play from your heart and just kind of closing your eyes while you just, you know, jam. Proper right? analogy. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> but yeah, learning how to, how to play from your soul, right? Le- learning how to make love from your soul is a, is a challenging process. And I've seen that for a lot of men. Why do you think that is? It's just, it's too abstract. And I think it's very vulnerable, I would say so. I've been started, I've been doing some men's coaching work and helping men with this stuff, which has come through the Modern Man Experiment. What I've seen is that it's just hard to grasp. What I've seen is the way to kind of bring men into that role is to first build interest around the results, which is how it worked for me. As we're sort of working on this is how you build a technical foundation and better understand you know, how, how a female body works introducing these concepts of, you know, being present while you're making love and not being too focused on the goal and, you know, having making a woman have this or that reaction. And so it's kind of like fusing the results stuff with the more abstract stuff together to sort of get there. I think that that's an important way to achieve it. So that's stuff that I talk about in regards to the sex pillar. The another pillar is relationship. My touch on dating and also love. Two things that have been really confusing for me especially love right now as I'm experiencing it, I think for the first time in my life, really definitely the first time in my life in this way with with one partner. But um, we'll talk about in the relationship pillar, the importance of unlearning all of this game conditioning Mm. that has been built into many of our male lives. It's really fucked me up more than I realized. And in my relationship now, I'm realizing how much it's fucked me up. And I'm talking about all the stuff that sort of gets taught to us. And I think that this is Partly I got like a huge dose of it because I was so self-help oriented when mm-hmm. I was going through my 20s. And I would do like pickup artist workshops and like I saw a bunch of wacky stuff out there. Give us an example of a pickup artist quick line. I'll preface it by saying I was never big on quick lines. But I can give you an example. Yeah. Jesse, <laughs> we're in a bar. Try to fuck me. Back in the day, like the, the approach was, you know, how can you build as much intrigue? Mm. And how can you create as much interest? And how can you do it while showing that you have high value? So you'd go up to a group of women at a bar and say, my buddies and I were just having this conversation and we wanted to get your opinion. Oh, uh, <laughs> that's like happened. That Oh, yeah. For and sure. I'm like, pass. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's really interesting because a lot of women, actually, especially in L.A., because so much of this stuff was practiced in L.A. in the early 2000s, it just like it stopped, quote unquote, working. Right. Because it was just too widespread. But anyways, the guy would say, do you floss before or after you brush your teeth? That is, uh, you know a simple sort of innocent way to start a conversation. One of the women in the group may say, I don't know. One of the women may say before, and then one woman may say, you know, I've always wondered that. And now you have this like intrigue and you kind of, that's your angle in. And then they would teach you how to stack conversation, how you would introduce uh, another sort of, you know, like a made up story. Did you guys see the fight that happened? out? This is one that was taught. Mm -hmm. Did you guys see that fight that happened outside between that, that little guy, that huge woman and the fist fight and, totally made up but just to sort of build and stack this is scary 
It's like scary that you use fake things to connect with people. Easy with the you. One might promote the use of fake conversations to converse with people. Was that better? Yeah. 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 Now look, that you guys asked for an example. I gave right. you a really extreme one. Totally. I don't think I know anyone that actually used that stuff. I'm sure people did. It was taught. It was on the pickup artist TV shows and stuff. But that so that's an extreme example of what I think is the opposite of human connection, which is yeah. what I focus all my work on now. So relearning a lot of the gaming throughout a lot of my 20s I would play it very cool or as we would say slow play cool with, guy with cool women guy in. and a lot of women I know do it or and did it with me as well cool guy in. we do we did it <laughs> we were, we were cool pros at guys. it we were the coolest guys <laughs> cool guy Real. Cool guy. Two, you're sitting with two cool guys <laughs> <laughs> I love it. but really ultimately that is the opposite of allowing yourself to be vulnerable with mm-hmm. someone. And uh, got the job done for me. I mean, I never got hurt. I always was in a place where I was in control. And I just couldn't really be in a bad position with a woman because I had other women that I was seeing at the time. Or I was distant enough where I couldn't really get hurt. Mm-hmm. And along the way, it, it definitely drew, sort of magnetized certain women to me by taking on that approach. But it took a, lo- a lot of... What's the word? Deadening of your soul. That, <laughs> That's how I felt for that, a while. Yeah, I mean, deep down, yes. That. I, on the other hand, had a black, black heart. <laughs> it's, like, also so tiring. It's, like, when I would try to do that, I knew that that wasn't what my heart wanted. But I was, like, it's the only way that I could, quote, protect myself. Mm-hmm. So you just do that. But then it's, like, you got to juggle these balls. And the second that you show, like, any vulnerability, then that person is, like, who's this person? <laughs> It's like not the same person, right? Like you're like, I'm at a healthy distance. And then I would like lash out because my my emotional self would like take control and then all of a sudden be needy. And because it's like a swinging scale of Mm. like, I'm suppressing, I'm suppressing, I'm suppressing. And then like one little thing would just make me like, I need you to like pay attention to me. And it's because I was just like pretending that I didn't need that so aggressively. Mm. And so off balance with everything. So off balance. Yeah, yeah. Well, when you're totally. not coming from a place of love in any situation, then it's bound to fall off balance. I think Tinder's a great example, right? Like how further from being able to create like an actual authentic connection are we than from basing our decisions off of a photo? Mm. My buddy was uh, in a taxi ride on a Saturday night in New York City with, with this older Bronx driver. And he was talking to my buddy about women and how he'd been with a lot of women and how he was lucky to have met and connected with lots of women that he actually really liked along the way. And, of course, my buddy was more interested in how many women he had slept with. He said a couple thousand. My buddy couldn't believe it. So so my buddy asks him, how did you do that? And he says, well, you know, it's... It wasn't necessarily about sleeping with as many women. It's just, you know, I, I, I liked getting to know and I liked getting, you know, if I saw someone I was interested in, I wanted to get to know them. And I happened to be with a lot of women along the way. But what he said to my buddy was, it was very simple. I would be spending time with someone and getting to know someone. And at a certain point, I would look at the woman and tell her that I was attracted to her. I would tell her something about the way that I felt that was honest. And I would tell her that I'd want to be with her. And if she didn't want to be with me tonight or at any point, that it was fine. My buddy was like, oh, Yeah. (laughs) I remember there was a sort of shift for a couple of friends and I when we were just like, well, hmm, maybe we should just be totally and directly honest when it feels appropriate and go into it with the understanding that, look, we may not go back home with this person tonight. This is their decision. But all we can do is tell them how we feel and let them decide and be okay 
with the fact that we may not go home with them tonight. So it's a sort of like non-needy honesty. Mm. And it's so much scarier than all of the game and all like, you know, I had like probably 15 different lines that I could use and I would reuse if when I was with someone at that point of the night where it's like, maybe it's time to go back to my place instead mm-hmm. of just being honest about the way that I felt saying, hey, do you want to go, you know, make popsicles or whatever it was. And I had some pretty like serious <laughs> things that would take All a the lot hipster of time activities. <laughs> hey, you want to go tie-dye? I know it's three in the morning, but I'm really feeling these colors. <laughs> I'll be honest with you, in the summertime, I love watermelon. I would have fresh watermelons and I would have fresh popsicles all the time in my freezer <laughs> and it was a thing that i would popsicles say popsicles <laughs> way too close to penis <laughs> it's like not even a secret euphemism <laughs> but once i started practicing that and finding it to be really terrifying to look someone in the eyes and share you know the way i really felt um and to be okay with whatever their answer is but once i was able to start doing that that's when i was able to start really connecting with people um you can't fake that mm-hmm. what does it then mean to be serious with someone mm-hmm. and and how do we look at issues like fear of intimacy which is a common one and what are the signs of that because it can be really deceiving and then once you're really starting to get to know someone and you're in a serious relationship with someone how do you start to understand the differences between certain men and certain women i can't speak for all men so i'll just speak for myself as a, as a man i find that i expect my woman to operate from the same place of logic and rationality that I operate from. In our dynamic and what I've seen from a lot of other friends and couples, it's just not the way it works. And it's taken... <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, good <laughs> luck with that. <laughs> it's taken a, a lot of work and a lot of dialogue around helping me better understand and other men better understand how we operate differently. We know that we operate differently, but how do we operate differently? And how can we have a strong understanding of that so we can create... Um, a meaningful union where we can both serve each other. And it's something that I, I, um, I'm still learning quite a ton about and it's been challenging for me. Anyways, the next one is purpose. This really has to do with asking ourselves, why are we here? What are our greatest gifts? And how do we position our lives, our careers, our friends, our romantic relationships to allow us to best give those gifts to the world? It's pretty straightforward. Mm -hmm. When we're able to answer those questions and start to identify our gifts and our purposes and then step into them and make those sacrifices and changes to step into those, the world changes. It's like we come to life in a way, I talk about aliveness, I mean, we feel alive in a way that we've never felt before. It's, I think, incredibly important to this conversation around what it means to be a man because so much of the mirroring around manliness has to do with making money, working your ass off, being a boss, starting a company, whatever it is. Look, that's all great, but if you're not doing it in line with what you're here to really do and give, well, what's the point? And that, that's an important conversation for men to have and I think an important one for women to be a part of. Definitely. A lot of guys I know have like shame around like they feel like they're not enough of a man if they don't have like a certain financial backing or some like we've had we have friends who we've had this conversation with where it's like they don't feel like a worthy partner if they don't have like the things that society has told them that a man is supposed to have. Totally. And that's like so tragic to me because And we also live in a place that fosters untraditional career trajectories. Totally. So it's like how do you straddle like the fact that you've chosen something non-traditional so you've already jumped outside of the box and then but you still have guilt and shame over not fitting into like a paradigm that like exists outside of the the life that you have created for Mm. yourself. Mm -hmm. Like 
that is such a bridge that needs to be gapped because I feel like it's separating a lot of men from from women and men from themselves and from really like functioning at their highest and fullest potential. It's super interesting. I'm yeah. curious about incorporating women into these conversations and how important that is in your mind. The idea behind uh, the modern man experiment is not, this is what you should do to be a man. Mm -hmm. The modern man experiment is about asking the question what it means to be a man today and defining it and evolving the definition mm -hmm. together as a group. I felt like to best answer that question, to best define and evolve manhood, that we needed to have conversations with women and get women's perspectives, how the sex angle comes into play, how the dating relationship stuff comes into play. Men need to hear that stuff too. Not to be scolded, but to, but to create the conversation together. And purpose is the one that I think actually is most abstract as it relates to women. So I believe that there's different purposes in regards to a lot of men and a lot of women. And aside of what you're talking about in the general message, which is so important, I think a beautiful takeaway that we can all cultivate in our own lives is that of bringing together people and fostering connection and conversation and thus creating community. Mm -hmm. And I think those are such powerful tools that all allow us to learn and activate being better. Better, I don't know, is the right word. Yeah, fuller, better. Be fuller people. Mm -hmm. sure. Feel more alive. Feel more alive in, it, in the human experience. I mean, I would want to talk about this forever, so... Yeah, we hope Since that it's a finite thing in time. This idea of uh, what it means to be a modern man, showing up for the people in your life, that this ignites conversation with our listeners, or at least thought in the way that you're starting this conversation, your blog post, which we'll link to. It's really important stuff. And I love that you're not pushing an agenda. You're not like, this is how it is to be a modern man. You're like, maybe we should just you're ask what that even means. Mm -hmm. And I feel that same way about, about being a woman, and that's why I think it's interesting that you bring women into the conversation. Cause it's, but you're just speaking from your own experience, obviously. Mm -hmm. You're not a woman. Thanks but you could that. be. Thank you. <laughs> if you want to be. Because <laughs> that's the truth of the modern man. That is. You know? You know? That's what we're, we've, we've learned anything in 2015. I am my new favorite show. So, um, so Jesse Israel, <laughs> where can you be found on the internet? You can connect with me through my Twitter account. Oh, at Jesse Israel. Uh -huh. I'm on Instagram at Jesse Israel. And I have actually, since I left my company, I've been slowly putting together sort of like my new hub. Mm hmm to cover all this. It'll be at jessieisrael.com, but it's not, oh, it's hey. not, it's not, it's not ready yet. That URL life. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much for lending us your thoughts and your time. This has been a fabulous conversation. Oh, I love talking about it with you guys. Thanks for having me. I loved your questions. Thanks for bringing your masculinity to our show. And modernism. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Men. <laughs> Keep <Yeah>. being hot. <laughs> yes, that's a retrograde. Oh my, that's a catchy tune. <laughs> Shout out to Sophia Hallquest who composed that melody. Yo! We got some people hitting us up on the internet, you guys. So exciting. So we got, we've got we been getting some lovely messages from you. And, you know, we're not going to be that masturbatory and read all of them. But we had some great suggestions. Okay, this one comes from Instagram from Katie Yankowskas. And Katie says, you guys, I've been fangirling over y'all's podcast. You guys should do a podcast on horoscopes, if not already, maybe having on the Astro Twins. I would love to hear one on Tribe de Mama. Yes. Yes to both. We would love to have the Astro Twins on. Manifest Destiny. Yes. So thank you, Katie, so much. We love that you're listening, and thanks for taking the time to reach out. What time is it? 
It's roses and thorns. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm like the Lady Gaga of this podcast. You really are. Yeah. Can I be the Bette Midler? Sure. Cool. <clears throat> so we've got some roses and we've got some thorns today. Yes. I'm thinking... I'm going to go worse for first today. Okay. Because I've got some stuff. To okay. Say. Get it off your chest. Okay. So I am just was home visiting my family mm-hmm. and my parents pretty much since the... Uh, ever since I could remember, they've always like thrown me articles they thought I were of interest. So mm-hmm. they were like my original Reddit, if mm-hmm. you will. There's two things that caught my attention, and they lend to this idea that since the beginning of time, people in power can just kind of get away with bullshit. History always repeating itself. And, and two instances that really caught my attention that we were discussing over the Yom Kippur dinner table, one being this thing with Volkswagen. What do they do now? Scientists discovered that Volkswagen had installed a device in their diesel-powered cars to fool emissions tests. So basically they were saying it was like the best performing, lowest emission vehicle out there, when in actuality they had programmed it so that it only looked like that when people were testing it, but it wasn't using as low emissions as it was claiming. So there's a lot of levels something like this has to go through before it gets passed. It's not like one person's just conniving, like, I know how to figure out the system. It's like, you're having programmers, you're having the whole thing. The CEO is since stepped down, it's their reputation's basically tarnished. I mean, first they made Nazi cars and now this. Right, it's like, ugh. It's like, cannot catch a break. I'm I will sorry. say, like, I used to drive a bug and it was the best. Yeah. So but this th- is not cool. Not cute, not cool. I'm fascinated by the idea of how people thought they could get away with this. To dovetail on that yeah. thing with, like, abuses of power, <laughs> I read on Reddit in 1978, Exxon had sent out, like, a ship with a bunch of scientists who were living on it and they were studying the effects of fossil fuels emissions in the atmosphere and, like, what it was doing. And internal documents were just released that talk about how one of the scientists was like, uh, if we continue on this path, like using fuel the way that we are in the next five to 10 years, there could be like irreversible catastrophic events. And damage on On planet Earth. Yeah. Right. And then it like a couple years later, another scientist reported an internal, this whole time they're not doing anything. Another document states that like if they start to make the change now, that they could be at the forefront of like new energy and like a whole new like global paradigm shift. And then like 10 years later, oil prices like dropped. And so Exxon made a public statement and was like, over the last 10 years, the research that we've been doing has been inconclusive. They basically buried the study. They buried the entire study and shut down the entire project. So now they're not even doing that research anymore. So it's just like terrifying that in 1978, a human was like, we have 10 years till this is fucked. And now it's 2016 and it's just like, now these motherfuckers are trying to, are like. Yeah, it's it's a mess. But like what's great about it is I feel like it's a little bit harder nowadays to get away with this stuff because the information and the access to information right. is so accessible. Right. I love how this thing with Martin Shkreli. I don't know about this. Okay, so just in brief. Former hedge fund manager bought a drug company that was producing a drug called Daraprim, which 2,000 people in the United States use who are living with HIV AIDS. Okay, so it sustains your life? Exactly. It's a life-sustaining drug. Okay. (laughs) Okay. And uh, jacked up the pill from $13 a pill to $750 a pill. Oh, my God. And outcry throughout the media. People are completely shaming him online. But today which we're pre-recording this, so a couple days ago, in air quotes. <laughs> I like our taking the curtain back on yeah. our timeline of recording. Like 
we got stuff to do. And it all comes together. It's not it important. It all does. Yeah. Anyway. So uh, Hackers just released his home phone number and his home address. I love these vigilante hackers. Right? It's, it's like, like such a thing now. Where's that pilot showtime? Exactly. <laughs> Green light. <laughs> Though I do not agree whatsoever with what he's doing. Of course not. That's fucked he's up. He's literally going Didn't on national television. Didn't he say it's because they did it so that they could fund more he's research? Kind of, he's giving kind of all these like half-assed answers. Like one, so that they could jack up the pill, so that they could fund research to have a new pill. And it's like, wait, doesn't Elton John raise money for that like why is that coming out of the patient's yeah. money it's like yeah. there's a fest- gay billionaires run Hollywood exactly. like figure it out there's a big fundraiser in Cannes every year for this like hold I'm sorry, your I mean gay Jewish billionaires oh, is yeah. what I meant let's keep it politically correct exactly <laughs> yeah we have to be specific and then he said that there that the company as when they acquired it it was only turning a five million dollar profit and that's not sustainable it's like well when the name of the game is public health it's like it is such an example of exactly what is wrong within our health system and I love that it's bringing attention to this in like a really micro level I mean it's the same thing with the fucking abortion conversation it's like there's so many things going on in our society that don't look out for like the best of human interest right but to that I don't think it was right for the hackers to post his phone number and all that what's the purpose of that like you played me that she played just like the ring and then he picks up yeah we listened to his voice it's just like a creepy horror movie then nothing happens but I learned how to pronounce his last name oh okay well you know I'm I'm trying to be better at English be better at English (laughs) and come on to this podcast more informed so we can conduct a proper conversation. Very good, Elizabeth. So, you know, Yom Kippur calling I just saw in. one single strand of your hair turn gray. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you. So, to that, it's like cool on the internet for shining a massive spotlight on this conversation because this is such a major issue so in would our you country say right now. You are transitioning from having the internet as a thorn as it once were to now a rose? Yes. Okay. Just following the the dialogue yes, of you. And yeah. I also will say that I don't think this like Hacker shaming is appropriate. There's also, ha- I mean, the levels of shaming. Like, I know. Somebody. <laughs> hacker shaming? Like that the hackers are shaming. Oh, this they're guy. doing it. Right. I thought there was other people outside of it, like shaming the hackers. I don't know. There's something to me there's like two rights is. are not making a wrong here. I don't know. I mean, I think there's something cool about the hacking just because it's like there's transparency and it makes people accountable and like it really does bring up the question of integrity. And like so in that regard, I'm like, sure, but also do it for a purpose. Like I'm just not sure. Like what are we gaining from having his phone number just like going to harass him and like lead this guy to kill himself? Like that's not like the way for him to be held accountable. So I guess it's like a thorn filled rose. Sure. Like all roses. Uh Uh-huh think about that yeah do you have another rose what's oh, happening i have a, a rose uh platter okay bushel okay bouquet okay. nobody's ever sent me flowers <laughs> i don't even know what a group of flowers is called <laughs> a bushel <laughs> a platter somebody sent me flowers on a platter anybody wants to help shift stephanie's thinking you can tweet me a bushel of roses oh my god okay so you're a bouquet okay so my first uh, Rose is that I started a new supplement, mm-hmm. NADH plus CoQ10, and I just want to throw that out there and have you guys like look into it. It's it's like a heart supplement, and it's supposed to like give you energy. And um, someone said it's like an age reversal compound. Vitality. They say that it turns the clock back. Looking hot at eighty, and I do feel a little about. bit more like mentally clear since I've been taking it. Right. Yeah, it's nice. And then my other rose, which is also sort of a thorn, is that. Elizabeth lives across the street from a school, an elementary school, 
it brings in great creative energy. It does. We've had we've smoked many joints on her porch across the street from the school during school hours. And today we were out there just hanging out, not doing anything weird. It's recess apparently, and they're playing like all the pop hits. The first one that caught our attention was "Watch Me Whip, Watch Me Nay Nay" over the PA, which maybe Hillary Rodham Clinton was onto something. That yeah, call out to last week's yeah. show. Then they played a Kesha song. Then they played Wiz Khalifa from Fast and Furious. And then they played Katy Perry's song. So and like then we left. Yeah, we had to go. Recess was over. <laughs> no, but it's just like on the Rose side, like love that there's like pop music playing like over recess. Like how fun for those kids and like also us weirdly. But mm-hmm. also my thorn about it is like, can we like insert some like classics? like a little bit like deeper, more like reflective music, you know, like maybe throw like a Grateful Dead song in there, you know, throw like Sublime song, you know, like throw TLC, TLC, scatter in other music that's like greats throughout the decades. Yeah. You know, whoever, Joni Mitchell, I mean, come on, you got to learn about that early. Exactly. It's going to start to get reflective and you need music that's going to help you. I don't really think that Kesha is going to help you go deep. Be sure to come by uh, for Cinco de Mayo this year when they always have a mariachi band. That's incredible. I'll be there outside. I'll be outside the school with my margarita looking through the fence. I I once had a friend of mine say, oh, it's really great that you live by a school because you the young creative energy that manifests in spaces like that. You're just directly getting that because, I mean, it's you know, recess. I hear the announcements all the time. And it also keeps you on a schedule. It's like a rose and a thorn. Yeah. Really quickly, my rose was home for Yom Kippur this weekend. Got my parents into juicing. That's great. My dad started doing Apple cider vinegar and lemon water That's after so he visited. Great. Oh my God, we're making a difference. Love it. Ugh. All right, I really want to do this thing where it's the end of the show and I go. Okay. That's... All right, well, that's so retrograde. So that was a stack of papers being stacked <laughs> and us closing out today's show. The I classic wanna... end of talk show sound. Right. I want to thank Jesse Israel for being here. Thank you so much. We love you. What a gem. Mm-hmm. And I want to thank all of our listeners. And I want to thank this retrograde for just really making it interesting. Yes. So far, uh, so retrograde. You can find us on thatsoretrograde.com. At so retrograde on Twitter and Instagram and in your hearts. Namaste. Bye. Yes, that's so retrograde.